ESPN LA 710. Welcome to the experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today we're talking the flu. Should we get the flu shot? Should we not? And on the line with me, I have Dr. Elmo Agatep from Optima Care Medical Group. Dr. Agatep, thank you so much for joining me again. Oh, thanks for having me again, Laferne. I always love having you. You're so fun, and you provide the information that we need to stay healthy. Tell us what's going on with the flu season. Yeah, so the flu season this year is coming off uh, on a little bit of delayed start. Um, currently, um, the flu activity in the United States is on low, according to the CDC. But as of the November 9th, um, Orange County just issued its first alert um, uh, we just had our first reported flu-related death in Orange County. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, ABC News sent out a thing on Twitter last night, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there have been confirmed yeah. deaths. Why is it yeah. so intense this year? Um, actually, annually, um, the flu, unfortunately, do, do claim um, you know, a, a fair number of lives, and uh um, and it's a fairly severe infection, especially to those who are at risk for it. Um, this year, though, we're starting to see um, the, kind of the after effects of the flu coming on now. And, um, and, and, and I'm very happy, at least, that, that they're making the public aware. That way, it, it's still in the conversation and that people can actually start approaching their positions about getting their flu vaccine. Now, my son went in for his fifth year checkup last October. Yay! Um, and they wanted Yay. to, yeah, they wanted to give him a flu shot, but um, we were having the fire drills that, you know, the annual fire drills that are a requirement. And in that building, they were like, okay, you have to come back and get the flu shot. And he was crying, I don't want a shot, but I still haven't taken him back yet. But this toddler that, died to complications of the flu. Can you detail that in how a child's body will take in this flu vaccine? Yeah. Um, so I think it's a two-part question that you're asking. Um, you know me so well. As like, <laughs> right? I, and I really like that, actually. It's a deep question. Um, so the flu vaccine, actually, it acts like just like any vaccine. Um, well, what our goal is to is to waken up your immune system and get them ready to, to experience and be aware of um, should they run should they they run across um, whatever it is that we're vaccinating against. Specifically, in this case, is influenza. Um, and the flu vaccine, what it does, it's supposed to trigger an immune response. That way, when you run into the flu, um, the disease is either mild or you don't you, you don't experience any of the symptoms of it. Um, and, you know, how the mortality, I guess the second part of the question was, is how did this happen to this child? And from what I understand, um, the details are fairly scant, but um, this child who was a mortality case was a toddler who was not vaccinated for influenza, was relatively healthy from what the, the reports say, and uh, he died of complications associated with influenza. And when you say complications, so how does the... Because you say it's a it's a virus or an infection, not a virus, correct? Or is, is, is that both? It's, it's a virus, actually. So influenza, <clears throat> it's a respiratory viruses that often t- trigger, you know, what we you know colloquially call as flu-like symptoms. Um, and oftentimes, for most individuals, it can trigger fairly, 
you know, significant symptoms like high fevers, a sore throat, chills, sweating, maybe a cough. Um, and then oftentimes most individuals who get this one, they're symptomatic for several days or even several weeks, and then the, the symptoms then dissipate after that one. Unfortunately, in, 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 you know, in some cases, they develop either really bad symptoms um, and they get bad respiratory infections that then go down into the lower respiratory tract, oh. cause pneumonia, um, and then from there, open them up actually for secondary attack by opportunistic other infectors like bacteria, which can then cause like bad pneumonias, and then from there, it can go downhill. Oh, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. So it's okay, so you get you get the virus, you get the infection, and then it causes pneumonia and other things and then your body starts breaking down. And as a toddler, you don't even I'm sure well, you know, your immune system isn't that high as a toddler because you haven't been exposed to a lot of things. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, those are the ones that uh, that we worry the most. You know, the very young and the very old, um, in both populations, their immune systems are either not mature enough to fight off the infection, or are are compromised um, for one reason or, or another. So, one of the things that I was talking with coworkers about is, you know, getting the flu vaccine, the flu vaccination, and people are afraid that they're going to get sick from the vaccine. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a common question that we run into in our clinic. Um, people always come in and, you know, the apocryphal statement is that, hey, you know, every time I get the flu vaccine, I get sick. Or I really hear stories about friends of mine have gotten the flu vaccine and they still got sick. Um, you know, it, it's, it, when you do get the flu vaccine, our, our main goal is to wake up your immune system. And part of that, that process is to actually trigger an immune response to the vaccine itself. Now, the vaccine is actually not, you know, not active live virus. Um, there was only one vaccine that's actually a weaker mild virus, and that was the nasal spray, which this year we're not actually, um, you know, we're not giving out, um, and it's not in the market. So all the vaccines that we have are actually just pieces of the virus itself, just something to actually make the immune system recognize the virus next time it sees it. And oftentimes when you do get the vaccine, you do get a mild, you know, flu-like symptoms. And that's because the immune system is reacting to it. But those, those symptoms are often very mild. And number two are very temporary and tend to go away within a day or two of getting it. The other thing that I also see as well, too, is actually by the time most people decide to get the flu vaccine, unfortunately, they've already run into the virus. And oftentimes that's the trigger is that somebody in the office or in the family have already picked up the flu the virus and has been spreading it actively. Oh my and God. by the time they they make the decision to get it, unfortunately, they've already picked up the disease. And oftentimes, they, they ascribe the illness that follows as, as a result of the flu vaccine. So when you talk about the nose um, spray, why has it changed? Like, I, I know, like, they're saying how, you know, there's these viruses now. Every year, there's a different type of flu Am I correct in saying that? Is that why they don't do the spray yeah. vaccine? Yeah. Well, part of the, the, the reason why the spray is not in the market right now is because I, I, from the studies that they looked at, it doesn't adequately cover um, the flu viruses that are um, prevalent this time of the year. And it's a much weaker vaccine than um, years past. So the CDC does, did not advocate for giving it out this year. So it's not on the market. Um, 
And that's where the tricky part of the flu is, the influenza is, is that it's a virus that tends to actually mutate a lot. And when it mutates, it changes its appearance. It's kind of like a, you know, like a, um, a criminal that, um, you know, you put an APB out for them and there's a picture, but unfortunately we can never find them or recognize them easily because they change their look each time. Um, They're you know, deep most flu back, flu, yeah. yeah, most flu viruses actually, you know, they start, they live in other animals like swine and birds, and each time they pass through each one of these animals, and by the time we pick them up, they've changed their look. It's really like they have a little mind of their own that is like actively trying to change and recreate and, you know, adapt. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it, it's a very, it's fascinating to me. Part of it is, is, is a, as a scientist and seeing how these viruses adapt. And oftentimes we, we ascribe that they're smart, but what they're really doing is that each time they pass through a different cell type, be it a, you know, a cell from a pig or a cell from a bird, they pick up a little piece of that cell and, and then that piece becomes a part of the quilt that covers them, right? And each time the quilt changes. Um, viruses are just basically like pieces of DNA that kind of float around and they have like a capsule around it. And that capsule is what our immune system is trying to recognize when they try to fight off infections in our body. Um, And when we vaccinate that, we actually use part of the capsule and the coating around the virus to tell our immune system, please recognize this. So when you run into it next time, react appropriately. Hence, we have to adapt our vaccines annually to kind of keep up with that changing uh, the changing face of the virus. So how do we do that? How do, how do they go about knowing what type of flu is coming in? Yeah, so most flus, they oftentimes start, you know, the, the, when we start investigating the flu, we actually look towards China or in the east um, because oftentimes that's where the major shifts in the virus's DNA happens. Um, and in most cases, um, we, we look at the flu virus, flu viruses that are go- that are in China right now, and then use that as a catalog to see what's coming down the pipeline. Um, and that's how we track our flus and, you know, create our vaccines accordingly. Yeah, it takes a lot. So what do you say to the people that do not want to get any type of vaccines uh, for lack of information? Yeah, part of it is always, always uh, see your physician or talk to a provider um, who's well-versed and, and, and understands, you know, the importance of vaccines. It's, it's truly important that we we uh, we all take responsibility and, and get vaccinated, not just for your general health, but for everybody else around you. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think the discussion and information um, is critically important for getting vaccines. And what you said before is like, I could be carrying around the flu and I don't know it, but I'm passing it on to other people because it hasn't shown itself in me yet. So it's like, yeah, you're passing germs around. (laughs) People can get really, really sick. Yeah, and that's totally, I mean, you you, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, Oftentimes when you get infected with the flu virus or any virus, um, there's a period where it's quiet and you don't have any symptoms at all, but you can be actively shedding it. For influenza, that period can last from five to five days to a full 10 to 14 days. So you could be actually walking around carrying the virus, very minimal symptoms or no symptoms at all, and then 
pass it around to people around you. Um, but if you are vaccinated, that period is a lot shorter and you probably don't shed as much virus. Dr. Agatep, let's talk about athletes and how they can go through this flu season without the flu. Like when they are like doing hard, hard training, it suppresses their immune system, correct? That's correct. Actually, there's been there's been data published that shows that athletes, especially endurance athletes or athletes who train at optimum levels consistently, um, that stressor itself is an immune, it, it's a um, it, it hinders the immune system from functioning correctly. Um, so a lot of athletes, especially this time of the year, are susceptible to respiratory infections. Yeah, they call it like the open window. Exactly, exactly. Can you talk about some of the things that we can execute as endurance athletes to prevent the flu from coming on? Definitely. The most, uh, the most important thing about flu prevention is, is you know, the vaccine itself. Um, and I encourage all my athletes, especially in my practice at Optum Care Medical Group in Seal Beach, um, I make sure that the athletes who come see me, um, I recommend uh, everybody get vaccines. Um, there's very few people that I recommend against you getting it. And the other things definitely are kind of universal precautions. If you are sick, making sure that you stay at home and rest, um, making sure that you do your, you wash your hands frequently, especially if you touch your nose, um, touch your mouth, um, any of those um, measures are, are very helpful in decreasing the amount of uh, viruses that you shed into the environment. Um, and for athletes, especially, proper nutrition and rest is, is critical for preventing um, the spread of the virus itself. And I can't express how much rest is so very important. I mean, it's me, I'm not an endurance athlete, but getting enough sleep, I think, helps a lot when, you know, you're trying to recover and, you know, you do these workouts and your body is breaking down and then it's cold outside and you just don't have the resistance anymore to, you know, fight off these infections. Yeah, rest is an underappreciated method of recovery for a lot of athletes. And, and I can appreciate them, you know, I can appreciate the athletes wanting to always stay moving, wanting to always working out and always trying to uh, better their body and their cardiovascular conditioning. But I also stress to them that, you know, the rest part is, is really important. Um, and recovery is when your body really reaps the benefits of the workout that you do. Um, and it's, it's a way for it to actually build up new muscle, um, build up um, new cells that uh, to, um, endure the type of workouts that you want, that you are going to put it through. So rest is super critical. And then I can't stress that enough, actually, for, for any athletes at any level. Dr. Agatep, before uh, on a, a previous interview, you were talking about how you deal with a lot of young athletes and that um, supplements, you really say, hey, you can get this from your food. Can you talk about the types of foods that we should intake to keep our body at a healthy level? And also, I know I shouldn't ask two questions at one time, but um, if you are taking supplements, do you suggest any that we should take in the flu season? Yeah, so proper nutrition is critical. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the, the essential nutrients that we get along with like the source of the fuel 
is really important for the immune system to function appropriately. Um, yeah, a well-balanced diet, you know, um, heavy on the fruits and vegetables, lean meats, um, those are super critical. And also the good fats as well, too. And I know a lot of athletes tend to sometimes um, avoid or neglect that, that part of the nutrition, but, uh, you know, getting good fats like from avocados, um, almonds, um, olive oil, those are really important for actually cell wall development and for maintaining a healthy immune system, muscle cells, and, you know, the rest of the cells in the body that are important to the athlete. As far as supplements go, uh, there's some data, there's data actually that shows that, you know, supplements like zinc and vitamin C um, can be protective to the athlete, to, to the individual. And, and in my athletes, I do recommend them. Um, there are some over-the-counter preparations that they can actually use. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, those are the two main supplements that I use during the cold and flu seasons or any season, actually, um, that, I ask, that, that I usually recommend when I'm asked what kind of supplements to take. What about uh, vitamin D? I don't know. I, I read an article about that, and that may be important for athletes. Yeah, so vitamin D is critical for any athlete at any level. Um, We know that the the amount of calcium that athletes take in actually is oftentimes inadequate, and vitamin D is a great supplement for making sure that there's adequate calcium. And calcium is a very important mineral in many cellular functions, including the immune system, actually. So vitamin D in in that way is very critical. And plus, it's it's, it's a vitamin that's also very important for the building of cell walls. Um, so having that available helps also maintain a very healthy immune system as well. Now, I heard uh, there's another vitamin D, but it has some other letters behind it that, that really activates your cells. I don't know. I'm grabbing this out of my out of the air. <laughs> um, do, you oh, know, do you know yeah, what? So, yeah. So it's, it's oftentimes uh, referred to in, in, in literature as vitamin D25OH. Um, that's the active form of vitamin D. Um, so oftentimes when we intake vitamin D, it, uh, it's in its inactive form, and it actually migrates over to the, to the kidney where it's activated into the active form of vitamin D that helps us actually intake, absorb calcium. Ah, I see. Yeah, because this guy was like, yeah. you need to take this vitamin D because it is it, – it, activates your cells and I was like what okay I'll write it down and yeah <laughs> I looked on it on Amazon but I didn't buy it right what he means probably it's the more active form of it and then there's other the vitamin D preparations that are easier to absorb as well too um, but as far as what's more superior I think there's you'll probably hear different opinions varying opinions um, from different people but um, in, in, in my practice, it's oftentimes I just tell them just get adequate amounts of vitamin D. And typical uh, recommended doses is about 2,000 international units to 4,000 international units um, every day or every other day. Now, have you seen the results of that? Like, do you take it or have you seen any of your patients do that? Yes, actually, um, a fair amount of our patients, um, both athletic and non-athletic, um, have seen improvements in their calcium level, bone density, and um, you know, anecdotally, they say that they feel a lot more energetic when they have adequate levels of vitamin D. And uh, oftentimes, those people who actually really want to track their levels, we track them 
um, through the labs to verify that they're getting adequate amounts. And then, and their symptoms seem to follow that improvement in their levels. Very interesting. So would you suggest like a different formula for um, an older athlete versus a younger or is it just the same? I think pretty much, I'd probably say right now, I'd say it's just the same, in my opinion. Um, you may probably get varying opinions, especially for nutritionists out there. Um, but I tell my patients, oftentimes, um, the more exotic it gets, the more expensive it is, and it's harder to stay compliant, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how do you, you know, you're seeing patients, sick patients every day. And I wonder how, like, how do you as a doctor, how do you stay healthy? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of patients that come through Optum Care. Right. We do see a fair amount of patients and we're fairly high volume at times, especially this time of the year. Um, It's a frequent hand washing, frequent uh, you know, um, just making sure, making sure I wipe down um, objects that other patients and other individuals have touched, um, making sure that I myself is mindful about, you know, not touching my nose, not touching my mouth, um, and making sure that I also get my vaccine. And then those are actually, those universal precautions seem to serve me very well and my staff. Uh, and we, we tend to stay healthy during this, this time of the year, despite being exposed a lot to uh, people with a lot of infectious diseases. Let's talk about pro- probiotics and how that helps an athlete. I know there are many, many products out there that says this is the best, but how do we know and should we be taking daily probiotics? Yeah, there's growing evidence, actually, that probiotics are, are you know, very helpful. Um, we are now understanding the importance of the gut biome. So the gut biome is the environment that's in our gut. In fact, actually, we, we're kind of like, like a biosphere, you know, and our body from our skin to our internal organs, like the digestive tract, is, is home to billions of bacteria. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of that uh, um, bacteria that's in there are actually good bacteria, and, and we live um, hand in hand with them, and, and they're very important for a lot of critical cellular functions and physiological functions. Um, so maintaining a healthy gut biome is, is pretty. It, it seems pretty critical for for maintaining good health. Um, part of it too, I believe, is that it, that our food chain right now is is also you know it's it's been um, muddled with you know antibiotics with pesticides. So that oftentimes also wreaks havoc in kind of the normal gut biome. Um, and maintaining a normal health um, in your gut is, is, is really important, I think, for, for good health. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, okay, yesterday I saw, because uh, I was on the, you know, what is they they call it, time wasters on the, <laughs> on the Internet. <laughs> well, oh, my yeah. gosh. Did you see the story about the North Korean gentleman that um, – made it to South Korea oh, yes. and he had these the defector. Yes. And he had these worms in his colon that were as like 12 inches long and they were taking yeah. all of his nutrients when he would eat something. Mm-hmm. Let's, yep. let's talk about actually, that. Yeah. That, I think the quote, <laughs> I think the quote from the South Korean doctor who saw him was that I have never seen this before and only saw it in, in textbooks. Wow. Um, which does not surprise me, especially in, in, in North Korea. And I can only guess to, to what their sanitation 
system is like over there. But, you know, in countries where sanitation is not the best and not the standards in the Western world, oftentimes, you know, parasites can easily make it into, you know, the food chain, into the water table. And, you know, and you can get these parasites just growing in your GI system. So that's another, another uh, you know, example of how our gut pretty much is kind of like a, a, a biosphere. Yeah. And they were talking about how in Puerto Rico, some of the people there, because of the hurricane, don't have, you know, water, fresh water that they can drink. So they're drinking the water that may be contaminated and getting sick in with that. Yeah, oftentimes in disaster zone areas, that's oftentimes the biggest killer right there is dirty water systems. Um, you know, when something big like that happens where your normal septic systems and your normal sewage system, um, you know, goes awry, you know, they can no longer keep up with the, you know, the filtration and, and sanitation. And oftentimes, you know, pathogens and germs make it into the water table and, and they start infecting people. And in fact, the leading killer for most disaster zones areas is is cholera. Mm. That's rough. So how yeah. so when we get sick, we say we usually hear drink a lot of fluids, uh, which includes water. Let's talk about what that water does to flush out the colon and flush out your body to make it become healthy again. Yeah, um, when we're sick, oftentimes there is a lot of loss of water, you know, from um, the diarrhea if you're having it. And you can lose a fair amount of water. I mean, the human body on average is about seven liters of water, and you can lose up to four liters of water just from, like, diarrhea. So, you know, even a, dr- a quarter of a loss of, like, your whole body fluids can really impact you physically um, and can cause severe severe illness in individuals. So making sure that we keep up with our fluid loss is critical, um, and you know, and making sure that you know that, that our cell, our cells, and our body stays well hydrated, um, because that's super important for many cellular functions. Let's talk about how, like, let's say you are an athlete and you're training, and then you develop, you know, the flu, or you get really sick. Uh, how should they go back into the process of training and continuing their their workout? Should they take it easy or? Yeah, so I, I usually mandate rest for at least a couple of days. So that way they can allow their body the time to, to, to dedicate that time to actually fight off the infection um, and, and to get better um, and to allow their body to actually um, you know, replenish the energy and replenish the nutrients that have been lost and may have been wasted through the illness. Um, and then at that point, you gradually allow them back to their activities in kind of like in a, in a graded fashion uh, and not to go back right away to full practice. Um, and and to, you know, just it's, it's more of a graded uh, approach to getting back its activity. So that way they don't really set themselves back. And oftentimes we see that athletes who go back too quickly um, have a much more protracted, like, return to play um, because they did not allow their body enough time to recover. Mm, Yeah. And then that causes more deterioration probably with their muscles as well. And, you know, how they're going to end up if they can complete their whole task of, you know, if they're doing endurance training or whatever. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's super critical that they actually, you know, keep up with the nutrition and get their rest. And because if they don't, what happens is you go into a negative energy deficit. Your body is trying to fight off an infection and is demanding a lot more energy to do so. And if you're not providing that energy or conserving it, what happens is that your body then starts to, uh, in a sense, I guess, cannibalize itself. And then you go into what we call um, catabolism, where your body starts to eat away at other sources of energy, like your muscles, the proteins in it. Um, and that's where athletes start to notice, like they start to drop muscle weight, and then their aerobic capacity then drops. And then that, that impacts their ability to be a competitive athlete down the line. Oh, so that's what happened to me. <laughs> that's why I'm sitting on my couch. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, if you don't allow that time to really heal, that's, that's the consequence of it. Well, so me as a as a mom, um, as an older person, I take antibiotics and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm sick. I'm going to take an antibiotic. But like with my son, if he gets sick, I, I'm really resistant to having antibiotics. Can you talk about what the antibiotics do to an athlete's body? Yeah, so the antibiotics that we have and, and utilize against bacterial infections actually are targeted against the, cell, the bacteria themselves, right? So they, what they do is they interrupt important cellular functions in the bacteria. Um, so they don't really target our cells per se. Um, but the problem with taking antibiotics is that what we fear is that by using antibiotics for a typical cold or even influenza, is that, that what we do is we actually foster resistance to the bacteria. It's this ongoing, like I said, cat and mouse game mm-hmm. where um, we're the use of antibiotics then triggers bacteria to develop resistance against um, antibiotics in the future. And then what we do is we're quickly running out of antibiotics to treat them and you get these germs that are actually resistant to multiple forms of antibiotics. And then what we're left with is nothing and then there's nothing else to fight bacteria. Um, And so that's that's the reason why doctors are so stingy and we're judicious about the way we prescribe antibiotics. Um, and then also antibiotics can cause side effects as well too, right? From allergy, allergic, you know, reactions to changes in the gut biome. So patients can even develop like diarrhea, um, and sometimes even trigger other types of, uh, you know, illnesses that, that would, would not have happened had they not taken the antibiotics. So if we take probiotics, would that help instead of taking the antibiotics? Yeah, and often care in, in Seal Beach, what we I tend to do is I actually use and, and uh, pres- prescribe probiotics when I give out antibiotics. Um, and I tell them, take it while you're taking the antibiotics and maybe even several weeks thereafter, just so that way you can ensure a you know, proper um, gut biome health. Yeah, I, that that is very, very important. Some athletes may not be having a bowel movement with every meal, which they should be. So how do you go about making sure that they're on a regular basis? I know I'm, I'm going in, but it's all about the health and it's all about, you know, being clean and making sure that you don't have worms or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, having a bowel movement after every meal isn't really necessary. Um, you know, um, everybody, everybody's gut functions a little bit differently. And oftentimes, you know, some individuals normally will have just one bowel movement a day. Some others, you know, up to two to three a day. Um, just as long as you stay on your regular, you know, kind of schedule and, and you know, not the forced issue. But like we said, you know, and, and I think we made that discussion a little bit about, like, 
keeping a healthy gut, you know, proper nutrition, eating organic, uh, making sure you eat less, less uh, um, pre-processed foods, maybe taking your probiotics. Those are all super important for maintaining a healthy, healthy gut. That is definitely true. Now, yeah. We also talked about red meat and men and, you know, with moderation, we should, you know, have red meat in moderation. Talk about the red meat and how that affects men and their prostate. Oh, that's a good question, actually. So red meat in, in general, I mean, I could speak generally to, you know, the general population about red meat. So, um you know, we know that we want to limit the amount of red meat, especially nowadays where there's, you know, a bigger push for increasing the protein intake. Um, the, the, the general rule is that, you know, making sure that the, the type of proteins that you eat, they're high quality, right? Um, usually leaner meats are much, much more recommended um, as mm-hmm. a bigger part of, like, your diet. And how that impacts the prostate health in men, I mean, there's still debate in the community on how, how that affects um, prostate health, but we know sometimes actually some meats may be plied with steroids. Yeah. Some of those steroids can be testosterone-like steroids, which then can affect the prostate health and make it actually get bigger faster. My goodness. I also read an article on Time Wasters yesterday. Uh, Jesse Jackson said that he, he, um, he now has Parkinson's. And so I was Googling Parkinson's and um, they they were talking about these pesticides um, may be a trigger for Parkinson's. And um, I mean, there's there's studies out there. It's not known, but most people who were around golf courses and these pesticides, like 19 of the 22 people that had Parkinson's uh, were by a golf course live by a golf um a golf area so can mm. can you talk about parkinson's i don't know i'm asking you everything because you're you're my resident doctor dr agatap yeah <laughs> well that's uh, definitely it's not uh i'm not a specialist in parkinson's and, and neurology but um we're, we're, there's growing evidence to show that environmental exposures um can be related to a lot of neurological degenerative disorders um parkinson's being one of them um because we know that a lot of the pesticides, in fact, from what I remember in studying, is that pesticides, a lot of them tend to be neurotoxic, right? So they're toxic to nerve cells. And um, you can see how that, if you extrapolate that, that understanding, is that how, how that can cause a lot of, um, you know, diseases affecting our brain and our nerves, yeah. uh, including Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, you know? So you as a doctor and an athlete yourself, how do you go about choosing what foods that you take and you bring into your your family because you have you have children as well mm-hmm. like how how yeah. and they're athletes so how do you go about choosing what foods that they're gonna eat? Yeah, so we try to keep it simple right the simpler it is uh, the easier it is to stay compliant with it um, and and it's much applicable especially for athletes where they do a lot of traveling you know um, so having a simple plan would be very important. And, and the key to that one, and my rule of thumbs is always, number one, picking, again, a diet that's, that's heavy on, you know, unprocessed foods. So fruits, vegetables, lean meats, um, good fats. Um, also, make, you know, making time to prepare your meals. So that's also important. Our families trying to, to find that time to prepare the meals. 
Um, and then also making sure that the diet is balanced. You know, um, we tend not to swing too much in one direction, and we we'll try to keep it down, right down the middle. You know, so we're not doing too much meats, um, but we're also also making sure that we have a good helping of protein into our diet as well too. If you have like the same food, so I know this trainer who he had the same thing. He had uh, egg whites in the morning. And then he had like a shake for a snack. And then at lunch, he had chicken and broccoli. And for dinner, he had chicken and broccoli. And then, you know, a shake in between. Um, he was saying how if you keep your diet consistent, your body will react better to and lose weight more effectively. Is that correct? Yeah, again, I, I think it, it, nutritionally, I mean, this is also a, a subject that, again, I probably have dabbled a little bit on, but not an expert in. Um, but nutritionally, I think our digestive tract is actually geared evolutionarily to a variety of foods, right? Um, so having kind of like a, a, a variable diet that, that um, you know, shifts and change I think actually for me, it seems to be much more healthier. Um, there were times in my life where I did that and actually did the same diet over and over and over again. And I found that oftentimes that led to actually kind of like a decline in my performance. Um, oh, really? But again, that bespeaks to kind of like our, our you know, our de- genetic diversity and our biodiversity. Um, so I try not to have in my, in my practice, at least in Optum Care, I try to actually um, have a, you know, I, I try to keep a diverse um, kind of menu um, and, and making sure that, you know, we get sources of nutrition from many different places. And, mm-hmm. and but whatever works for the athlete, again, um, you know, I try not to dissuade it, especially if it's not unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, do you see different yeah. types of ailments or different type of uh, types of uh, uh, strains during this time of the year than you would you know, in the summer? Or... Uh, this is the time of the year that we do get a lot of respiratory infection. Mm. So that, that seems to take precedence and, and when I see it this, this time of the year. Um, and then it tends to shift somewhere down the line in, in spring and, and summer, um, you know, uh, where we get other types of infections at that time, usually skin infections. Skin infections? Skin, yeah. We tend to get a lot more. People are more outdoors. Oh, right. Um, they get in, exposed to the environment more. They're in the water more. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the the wrestlers and the mats, I know we talked about that before as well, uh, where they can pick up a lot of uh, bacteria from the mats when they're wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and especially in our community, in, in communities where and in the combat athletes where there's a lot of skin to skin contact, especially with the playing surface. Um, yeah, skin infections, especially with staff, um, namely MRSA, the methicillin resistant staff. Um, that's a big concern for us. How do you know when you need to go to Optum Care Medical Group if, you know, a rash comes along and you're not sure if it's, you know, a skin infection or not? Yeah, and I tell you the general rule of thumb again, and, and you see how much I like general rule of thumb. <laughs> I know, that's um, why I love you. It's, <laughs> right? It's, it's keep it simple, right? Yeah. Um, if there is any question at all, um, definitely seeing your provider is super important. Um, you know, rashes and, and skin infections um, tend to look alike, right? Um, and oftentimes, you know, and I, I don't dissuade patients from treating at home, but it definitely if it doesn't respond to, you know, home therapies within two days or if you see that it's gotten worse, um, definitely I encourage you to see your doctor. 
Yes. When in doubt, go go see your doctor or, you know, give them a call, right? I know that you accept calls yeah. and stuff and you return text messages. So do you see... Yeah, we do. Do you see that changing along the way where you're connecting more with your clients uh, nowadays than before? Yeah, I, th- I think connectivity, especially in this in, in, in this digital age, is, is an important part and an extension of our practice. Um you know, we tend to serve larger patient groups, and being available for our patients is critically important. Um, at Optum Care, we do have an on-call physician. Um, we do have urgent cares where you can just drop in without appointments. Um, we also have a patient portal that you can send emails to your physician as well, too. So there's numerous ways for for, for our patients to get in touch with us. Uh, and we do a highly encourage, like, close, commu- open communication with us because that's oftentimes how we keep healthy, you know, um, mm-hmm. and we do our best to be available to our patients. I'm speaking with Dr. Elmo Agatep from Optum Care Medical Group, and now he's giving us his top tips of how we can stay flu-free this season. Yeah. So, a critical thing, get your vaccines, people. Um, This time of the year, um, the flu is coming, um, and that's a certainty, Um, a question of when rather than if. Um, So get your flu vaccines unless you fall into the categories of people who can't get it. Um, But definitely talk to your provider about it. Get as much information. And and we definitely, um, you know, your general health and well-being is our first and foremost thing. Second thing, um, really make sure that you follow universal precautions. Wash your hands and contact precautions. If you're sick, definitely stay home. Um, You don't want to get everybody else sick around you. And then for the athletes or just for anybody who wants to stay active this time of the year, you know, you live in California, you're probably one of the best places to be around, especially in the wintertime. We have mild temperatures. Always stay, you know, find the time to you know, to exercise and, you know, be it outdoors or indoors, stay active, stay well hydrated, um, eat a balanced, healthy diet, you know. Um, I don't prescribe one form of diet over another. Just making sure that, you know, you keep your pre-processed foods to a minimum um, and get your rest. Plenty of rest and sleep, which is super critical for your general health. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Elmo Agatep, doctor from Optum Care Medical Group. It's always a pleasure to have you on, doctor. Oh, always a pleasure. And, and anytime you want, you know, I'm more than happy to talk to you and to your audience. This is a, this is a definite pleasure. Uh, please come down and see us at Optum Care Medical Group um, and, and definitely get your vaccines, people. Thank you. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.